We're still in Colossians, and we're actually going to look at some Colossians, but as I explained earlier in the week, I'd originally planned for nine verses. Uh, as I got further into the preparation time, I realized that that would put us here until um, oh, about 11.06 p.m. on Wednesday, and so I said, well, let's just go with two verses. So we're going to look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Those are the only two verses we're going to consider this morning, but there's a lot in there for us to consider. And so if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to open it. We will put the words up here on the screen for you if you don't have it. You may also, uh, they should be on your handout this morning, inside on the sermon notes. And if you want to use some electronic device, your phone, an iPad or something like that to, to look it up, feel free, to, however you want to get the word into you this morning, that's just fine. So let's look at it together. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, and here's what we read. Therefore... As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, if we look at this, we notice the first word we encounter in this little section is the word therefore. And whenever you begin reading a passage with therefore, what it's doing is it's pointing you backwards because something has been said previously that you need to understand as you get ready to apply this passage. So we want to go back and we want to take a look at what was said just before this. In your Bibles, you can see it. We'll put it up here on the screen. But if we move all the way back to, to uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, we read, uh, Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom we are hidden, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ Jesus. And so, as we get up here to our therefore, what goes before it is this, Paul's saying, this is what I, when I look at your life, when I pray for you, this is what I want for you. I want you to be united in, in Christ together. I, I, I want you to be together. I want there to be unity. I don't want there to be chaos and confusion and, 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 and factions and all these things in the church. I want you to be united together, to, be, to come together. And I want you to know what it is that you believe about Jesus. It's so important that you get grounded in the faith so that people can't come in who sound really educated and convince you to go off some other direction. Now, with that in mind, he says, you come to our therefore. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. First thing I want to share with you this morning is this. What you believe will inevitably influence how you live. You want to know what a person believes? Look at how they live. That tells you a lot about them. It tells you what's important to them. tells you what they value most. How you live reveals what you believe. 
when it comes to the Christian faith, that certainly ought to be true. We should not on Sunday come and declare our allegiance with Jesus, but on Monday go out and live as if our allegiance is somewhere else, with the world, with self, whatever it might be. And so our lives ought to match, how we live ought to match what we say it is that we believe. If you can remember back what Paul, uh, what Paul wrote in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he said of this relationship with Jesus we've entered into, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. So here's what Paul's saying. Once you belong to this world over here, and this world was the dominion of darkness, this world was lostness, this world was, was being apart from Jesus Christ, this world was having no eternal hope at all, this, this was your world, this is where you lived. But you have been moved. You've been transferred from here all the way over to here, which is the kingdom of Jesus. You know, you're no longer, you don't live over there anymore. You don't need to live like that. You don't need to think like that. You don't need to act like that anymore because that's not where you live. You live here. What's the, what's the expression? You can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. Well, what that's saying is there's some things that are so become so deeply ingrained in us. It's hard to get out of that. But listen, don't apply that when it comes to being a child of God. You can take the person out of the world, but you can't take the world out of the person. Ooh, that's a, you can take, you, know, you can take the person out of the sinful situation, but you can't get the sin out of them. No, what we're saying is, if we're going to accept this as true, that we have been moved, transferred from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son, our location has changed. When we, when Nancy and I uh, were first married, we moved a lot. Every time the bills started stacking up in the mailbox, we decided it was time to move. No, no, we paid our bills. But we did move quite a lot. And when you move, some of you know this, we haven't moved in a while, so we haven't had to do this. But when you move, you have to tell the post office that you're moving. You put a forwarding address thing. Okay, if you were to go down to the post office, they'd, they'd probably think you were nuts. If you go down to the post office and, and you want to picture this, then what you do, you get that change of address form. And, and you write on there that my previous address was the dominion of darkness. But I want to let you know where I live now. I'm in Jesus. This is where I am. I have been moved. Here's our problem is we didn't, we didn't get, many of us don't have that sense of experience that I no longer live there anymore. That is not who I am. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. Things are different now. And yes, the ruts in my life are deep. And yes, it's easy to fall back into those ruts. But I am not that person I am not defined by my sin, and I am not defined by my failure. I am defined by who I am in Jesus Christ. And so we, we have moved. And, and it wasn't two men in a truck, it was Jesus who moved us by what he did 
on the cross for us. And so what Paul is trying to tell us here is that our way of life and our daily living should be shaped by not who we were, but who we are in Jesus Christ. Our daily decisions should reflect that relationship that we have with Jesus. And you need to know this. Jesus is not confined to a certain time on a certain day in a certain place. When you walk out those doors today, when you head out back into that misty rain this morning, you don't look back and say, okay, Jesus, I'll see you next week. Well, at least you shouldn't. Because when you go, you go in him and with him, or at least that's what scripture tells us. So this morning, considering this passage, these couple of verses that we have read, we want to see what that looks like, what that means for us. And so there's some key words that came out in this passage. And the first word that he used was the word rooted, rooted. Now, this is an agricultural term, obviously. Some of you, um, you you're into gardening or you're into, uh, you've got lots of plants at your house. You understand full well what it means to root something. Um, I, I don't have a garden now. I really don't have a great spot in my yard for it. It would actually have to be uh, based on where the sun is and everything. I'd probably have to go dig up my front yard in order to use it for a garden. And so I, I don't do that very much anymore. But when in my first church, we lived in Roberts, in, um, not in Bethel, North Carolina, only seven miles from my hometown of Robertsonville. And um, everybody around there planted a garden. And so I found a spot in the backyard, going to be a good spot. It was rich soil. Uh, we, we tilled it up, we got it ready, and then I went, I was just going to get a couple of tomato plants. But I had a guy in my church who sold plants. And so I ended up with like 12 tomato plants. Now, I'd seen tomatoes grown in my, my life. I mean, we did it in the garden growing up, but I, I had no idea uh, how many tomatoes 12 plants would make. It makes a lot. I could have fed the entire town of Bethel with those 12 tomato plants, a lot of tomato plants. But to, to get the tomato plants, you, you got them, and they came in this little, little container, and you would take them out of that container, that plastic container, and they'd have some soil and stuff around them, and you would you'd, you'd dig this hole, and you would, you would plant them. And I learned that you actually... Uh, you want to plant them kind of laying down and cover it up so you get more of the plant underneath the soil because they're going to start rooting from there. And the whole point is not to go out there every day and start digging them up and say, well, have the roots started growing? Because if you do, you're going to ruin them. You plant them and you let them take root. Because what? why is it important for them to take root? Because the roots... It's where they're drawing their nourishment from constantly. The water in the soil, the, 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 um, the minerals in the soil, the things that it needs are in the ground. It's got to be rooted because there is the source of the plant's life and health. That To be rooted, to be, it's absolutely dependent upon that. You don't just go throw the plant out and say, okay, do your best. What we're saying is, no, that your roots need to be down deep into the soil of Jesus because Jesus is a source of our life. Jesus is a source of our hope. Jesus is a source of our peace. 
Jesus is a source of everything for us, rooted, being rooted. Let him go down deep into the soil of Jesus Christ. This is important for us. We've got to stay grounded in Christ. If you want a beautiful picture of this, we're not going to go read it, but a picture of having our life coming from Jesus. John chapter 15 is a great place for you to spend some time this afternoon. If you have an opportunity to open it up, read John chapter 15. Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches. It's a great picture of how we get our life as believers and how we stay connected to Jesus. But what we're hearing here is, or what he's giving us here is, is this being rooted in him. And our problem is that we kind of treat Jesus like an ER doctor. I mean, we're just going along and life seems to be going okay. So we don't see the necessity of staying rooted in him, staying connected to him, staying dependent on him. We're just kind of doing our own thing until that fever spikes, until we have that little accident out in the backyard, until something goes terribly wrong And then we rush to Jesus, our ER doctor, and ask him, hey, just patch me up and get me back in the game. Give me the pain pills I need. Stitch me up. Put the cast on, whatever it is I need, so I can get back out and get on with my own life. But Jesus doesn't want to be your ER doctor. Jesus wants to be the good shepherd. And there's a difference between being the ER doctor, being a good shepherd, or being an ER doctor and being your family doctor. A great physician. Not someone you see only in emergencies, but someone you see routinely. We are to be rooted, connected to Jesus. That, that's, if we're going to have life, that's how it's going to have to happen. And We need to come to the point where we can agree with what Jesus said about us. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's the question. Do you believe that? That apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Nothing that matters eternally, certainly. Nothing of significance that God's going to go, wow, look at that. No. Apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. But with him, all things are possible. All right, so the first term he uses is rooted. That is a agricultural term. Paul has no problem mixing metaphors because the next term he uses is built up. And that is a construction term. So some of you go, okay, I'm not a gardener, but I know a little something about building. But you need to understand this word is not in the active sense, build yourself up. It's in the passive, which means you are built up. You're not doing it. You don't build yourself up. It is Christ who builds you up. And listen, If it's him who's building you up, guess whose blueprints he's using? His, not yours. Think about this, because this is significant. We don't, Jesus doesn't come in and go, okay, I'm here. Got my sleeves rolled up. Got my apron on. Got my tools with me. I'm ready to build you up. And then you go, well, Jesus, I've got some slight modifications to your plans. Now, some of you in building, you know what that's like, where they start changing your plans on the fly. And that's kind of what we try to do with what Jesus wants to do in our lives. He's coming in. He he wants to build us. He's got a design for our lives. And yet what we do is we go, well, Jesus, can I, 
you know, this over here, can, can we move that? Can we shift this over here? And I'd really like less of this and more of that. And we begin to tell Jesus exactly what it is that we want, how we want to be built up. But that's not the way it works. We don't do the building up. And it's not our plan. It's not our design. God has a plan, a design for our lives. And that plan that he has for our lives is more exciting and more challenging and more frightening and more freeing and more costly and more rewarding than any plan that you could come up with for your own life. We shortchange Jesus. We short-circuit his plan for our lives because fear, because of laziness, because we have other priorities. And we just don't want Jesus messing up our priorities. We don't want Jesus getting us up from our comfortable, lazy boy recliner. But he wants to build us up. And he will build us up. That great missionary, Hudson Taylor, who was a real missionary pioneer, wrote this. Christ is either Lord of all or Lord not at all. Let that sink in. Christ is either Lord of all or Lord not at all. We want, we, we come and, and we say, hey, Jesus is my Savior and my Lord, but too often we live as if he's Lord not at all. That we are actually the Lord of our lives. We are in charge. So what we see here those, thus far is if we want to walk in Christ, then we need to have our roots sunk deeply in him. We need to allow him to build that which he wants to build, that which is going to bring the most glory to God and the most good to people and the most people to Jesus. But Paul's not done. He says, rooted and build up in him, and then he goes on, and established in the faith. Now, what does this mean? Established uh, is a, the term in the Greek means to be confirmed or to be made sure. If you and I are going to walk in him, then we need to have a certainty that Jesus is who he said he is, that he did exactly what the Gospels said he did, and who he is, and what he did is enough. Enough to save us, enough to keep us, and enough to carry us home when this life is over. Paul said, you need to be established in the faith. And then, you know, I was going to look over this little term, but, but I'm not going to do it because then he throws in this other little term, just as you were taught. And the more I thought about that, the more significant it became for me. Let's not overlook that little phrase. Remember what Jesus told his disciples before he ascended into heaven in the Great Commission. He said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And listen to this, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Teaching them. What does Paul say here? Being rooted and built up, established in the faith, just as you were 
Paul. Christianity is not something we make up as we go along. Christianity is not some mystery religion that we, you know, we get all the secrets in a backroom ceremony somewhere. Christianity is not a, a doing the right rituals or following the right rules. Christianity is anchored in a historical Jesus. The Jesus whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus coming to us. A Jesus who grew up in Nazareth, who, who worked with his dad. Uh, Jesus who, as he became an adult, uh, went and was baptized by John in the Jordan and who began his teaching and preaching and healing ministry, who lived a perfect life and who pointed people to his father through faith in him, the Jesus who was betrayed and denied and arrested and crucified and buried and who rose again on the third day. Folks, that's the gospel. That's the truth. That's the truth we have embraced and the truth we are called to share. We as Christians believe that and we stake our lives and our eternities on it and we faithfully pass it from one generation to the next. Hey guys, you got a chance to see what was taking place up here. Some of our teenagers leading worship, but that's not all they do. They don't just get together and have this little, you know, singing time. Uh, they are, they're being taught. They're being taught God's truth. And it, it's not just happening on Wednesday nights. It's happening on Sunday mornings. It's happening other times. And it's not, not only happening with teenagers. It's happening with our youngest kids. It is such a blessing to see our children up here sharing God's word with us. Reading God's word to us. I can promise you this. There's not a child who goes back there who, who in our preschool or our, our uh, grade school program or our teenagers. There's not one who couldn't tell you right now what the gospel is. Ask them. Just ask them, hey, could you share with me what is the gospel? One of the neat things that happened for me uh, this past Tuesday is I had one of our kids come up to me, uh, was on a bicycle, kind of pulled up and stopped and said, uh, I'd like to talk to you about being baptized. I said, well, that's great. Let's talk. And we did. And she shared with me her understanding of the gospel. And I got to tell you, it was spot on. She, she knows the gospel. You need to understand that when, you know, when the offering baskets are passed and you go, okay, well, good, that keeps the light on, keeps the heat on, that's all good things, keeps paying salaries. It does more than that. It helps us fulfill the Great Commission because we are teaching them what Jesus commanded. We're doing exactly what Paul said right here. And that is, it is, it is something that, is, that we are, have all been, we are teaching and it's something, that's a thing that we do intentionally is teaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Because being a Christian is not just a box you check off on a survey. If, it were, if being a Christian were, were a box you check off on a survey, do you realize that 85% of Americans would be Christian? Because when asked, that's the box they check. I'm a Christian. Being a Christian means more than just checking off a box. Being a Christian is who we are. We believe and we have a confident assurance that Jesus is who he said he is, did what the gospel writers said he did, and that who he is and what he did 
is sufficient for us. It's enough. And then Paul goes on, he adds one more phrase, and we don't want to overlook this one. He says, abounding in thanksgiving. Perfect time of season to be talking about that, right? Abounding in thanksgiving. I will say this, even though I don't always live it, but I do believe it. And that is, Christians should be the most grateful people on the face of the earth. Now, if you stop and think about it, yeah, you, you are. But most of the time, we get so caught up in life, we forget to be grateful. Um, I don't have to go into specifics, but um, had, had an opportunity uh, to, to learn of someone in our community who lives here in Greene County who had a really, really difficult time, and, and there were some members of our church who responded to try to, try to help with that need. And I had an opportunity to go over yesterday afternoon during that sorry Georgia football game, and uh, it was a good thing to leave, um, un- unless you were pulling for Auburn, of course that is. But anyway, um, I, but I had an opportunity to go over and take a look. No electricity. And it was kind of chilly last night. Would you wanted your house not to have heat last night? No electricity. Can't run heat, can't run anything. Had a fire. Didn't burn his whole place down, but it was enough to mess him up pretty bad. Burned himself a little bit. Went over, was going to try to move him over into a motel for the night. He said, oh, I don't need that. He said, it's okay, I can, I can stay here. You know, it's going to be cold. It's going to be cold tonight. It's going to be cold tomorrow night. No, I can stay here. What do you need? Well, I could use some Neosporin for this place here. And I could use some kerosene, not for a heater, mind you, but for a lamp I've got. So I can have a little bit of light. So I can curl up tonight. Me and my cat, we'll get under the covers. We'll be all right. I was dumbfounded because somebody offered me a warm hotel. I'd have taken it. He didn't. And then I drove home, and I sat in the car in the driveway for a little while, and I just thought, you know what? I'm getting ready to get out of my car, and I'm getting ready to go in the house. And the gas logs in the fireplace is plenty warm. And there's a refrigerator, because I've got electricity. There's a refrigerator that's got plenty of food in it. And tonight, I don't have to worry about curling up with a cat to keep warm. And that's just the material things. To know that if I had curled up last night, not with a cat, but with Nancy, but if if I didn't wake up here, that I would be with my Savior in heaven forever because of what He's done for me? Should I not be the most grateful person in this world? And this is the thing I've noticed as I've traveled, and and I haven't traveled all over the world. I'm working on it, but I haven't traveled all over the world. But I've been to some poor places in Africa. I've been to some poor places in the Dominican Republic. And i got to tell you, in some of the poorest places in the world, I've seen some of the most grateful people I've ever seen in my life. Not grateful for the material things we brought them, but grateful for their faith in Jesus Christ, grateful that they have a God who loved them enough that 
that they would send his son to die for them on a cross, grateful that when they breathe their last, that they will wake up in a brand new place with the God who loves them so much that he'd let his son die in their place on a cross. Listen, if there's anybody should be grateful, if there's anybody should be thankful, whether we have much or little in this life, it should be us who have Jesus Christ. Consider what we've just read. This is what we have. We are rooted in him. We draw our life, our nourishment from him. He's building us up according to his eternal plan. We can have this confidence and certainty that we belong to him because of what Jesus has done for us, not what we've done. That doesn't make us grateful. Quite honestly, nothing will. If we're not grateful, then I'm going to tell you why we're not grateful. We don't have an understanding of that blessed assurance. Remember the, remember the hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is We don't have that. If we're not grateful people, we don't have that. And we don't have it for one of two reasons. Number one, we are not in Christ. Let's just go ahead this morning and put that out on the table because we know that there are people who will, Jesus said, there'll be some who say to me, Lord, Lord, but who are not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus will have to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And they'll go, well, hang on. We went to church. We put money in the offering basket. We did all those things that we thought we were supposed to do. Jesus is going to have to say, I'm sorry. I never knew you. I didn't have a relationship with you. And so this morning, if this is just a time to kind of look in the mirror. If you, look, if you realize that, you know what? I am not a grateful person. I'm just not thankful. I'm a miserable person on the inside. I am not grateful for anything. Then you may want to ask yourself, maybe one of the reasons I'm not grateful is because I am not in Christ Jesus. You need to understand this morning, God has done everything that is necessary for you to be in Christ Jesus. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross to pay the price for your sins. If you're not in Christ, then I want to tell you something this morning. The door is wide open. Matter of fact, Jesus knocked it, slam off the hinges. When he rose from the grave, he flung open the gates of heaven wide open, and we enter by faith in him. And this morning, if you don't know him as Savior, you can know him as Savior and Lord of your life. And I would plead with you not to leave this place until you do. But there's another reason you may not be grateful. And that is, even though you understand what Jesus did for you, and maybe you've accepted that, but you don't have a confident assurance. Meaning you don't, you've not fully received everything that God has for you. Because if you did, you'd be grateful. What do you do? You don't have that assurance. I'm going to ask you to do something real simple this morning. If you don't have that confident over assurance that overflows in gratitude, then here's what you need to do this morning. This is not rocket science. Ask for it. God is not holding out on you. 
And what you may need to do this morning is come up and say, you know what, I have trusted in Jesus Christ, but I'm, an un- I'm not grateful for, for all I've been given. I don't have that confident assurance to just come and say, God, could you give it to me? God, could you give it to me? I, I trust in you, I believe in you, but could you give me that assurance that's going to overflow in thanksgiving? If you need Jesus, if you need to pray, if you need a church home, then I want to let you know the time is now to respond. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for the truth of your word and for its power. And I want to pray for those this morning who are struggling right now, who are struggling, wondering, hey, do I have this relationship that the pastor talked about? Am am I in Christ or am I still in that dominion of darkness? Lord, I want... I want to be transferred. I want to be, I want to be moved. And I know that only happens through faith in Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with that this morning, that if they don't know your son is Savior, that they won't leave this place until they do. And Lord, I pray for those. I pray for those who don't have that assurance. They can look back and they see that time in their life and they feel very confident that at that time they gave their hearts and their lives to Jesus Christ and they trusted in Jesus. But... They've been so distracted by the world and they've been knocked off kilter by the problems in life that they don't have that assurance that fills them up that would cause them to have the joy that overflows in the thanksgiving. Lord, I want to pray that pride wouldn't get in the way this morning, that they'd just come to you, God, and just ask you to give them what they're missing, that sense of peace, that sense of confidence, that assurance that Jesus is theirs and they are Jesus. Lord, I want to ask that you would move in this time right now by your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to hearts and speak to minds and that you would draw people into this beautiful relationship that you want with us. And Lord, I pray for each believer, Lord, that their roots would be sunk down deep into the rich soil of Jesus they'd allow get out of the way and let Jesus begin to build the man the woman that he is trying to build right now Lord that there would be an assurance that would overflow in thanksgiving Lord let the world know through how we live exactly what it is we believe but this is our prayer in Jesus name